0: The Middle East and North Africa. I am Malihira Zazan. This week we spend the hour speaking with award winning filmmaker Giafranco Rossi about his new documentary film, Nutorno. Shot over a three year period along the borders between Syria, Iraq, Kurdistan, and Lebanon, Nutorno gives voice to a human drama that transcends geographical divisions and time, illuminating with encounters and images the daily life that lies behind the continuous tragedy of war, brutal dictatorships, foreign invasions, and interference, and finally, the murderous apocalypse of ISIS. In Notorno, war does not appear directly. We hear it in the mournful dirges of mothers, in the stammering of permanently wounded children and in a play about the history of the Middle East performed by patients in a psychiatric hospital in Baghdad. Gio Rossi's 2016 film, Fire at Sea, won the Golden Bear at the Berlin Film Festival. Notorno has been selected as Italy's entry to this year's Oscars in the Best International Feature category. I spoke with Giofranco about the idea behind the film and the people he met on his journey throughout the war-torn region on the borders between Iraq, Kurdistan, Syria, and Lebanon. Welcome back, Giofranco. What a pleasure to speak with you again. The last time we met and spoke was when you screened your award-winning film, The Fire at Sea, during the San Francisco International Film Festival. That documentary chronicles the harrowing journey of refugees who landed on the shores of uh, Lampedusa. And in that documentary, we see how on that tiny island, there are two realities which exist side by side. One about the mundane life of the people on the island and the other, the refugees who risk their life to get to Europe. Can you talk about... The connections between that documentary and Noturno.
1: And it's so beautiful to meet you because I remember exactly when we met. There was a screening of uh, of my fear in uh, Sarafand, and now three years later, I'm here talking about another work that I did, which is so much connected, as you say, to that little island in Lampedusa. You know, Lampedusa at the time was uh, at the beginning of this wave of people living conflict and living violence and living fear and just maybe wanted to create a better life for themselves you know and Lampedusa was an invisible border at the time you know Lampedusa was out of the map in
2: Italy nobody knew Lampedusa and then Lampedusa became I you know this year the gate of Europe it's the first European place the first stand of european embracing people arriving and after being there for three years filming this film which you know the dramatic that i went through mm. i was able
1: only to feel the island you know and the people were passing by there. they were just passing by and disappearing because they were staying there only one day two days maybe three days and then they were like dislocated and i use this horrible word dislocated all
2: over europe or in italy at that time there was uh, europe that was a uh, building hypothetical borders you know so the thing became more and more and more complex the more this border was coming closer to africa
1: the more people they were rescued from the that time there was still the Italian army being there in a very effective way. And I encounter all these people near to death, but I was not able, except one episode in my film when there is this rap song, which I think you remember where they say crossing the sea mm-hmm. is like crossing the but we rather die on the sea and not dying here in the prison of Libya, where they force us to drink tea. And, and these are the people that are coming from from Middle East, you know, from the place that uh, somehow is a huge, huge uh, mystery. And still for me, it's a mystery what's happening there. And for me, it was like a very obvious step to go and cross the sea and go to face you know, these borders, these uh, borders, which at the time, ISIS was like collapsing. And ISIS, uh, after years, years, years of uh, threatening, of creating disaster there, was collapsing. So I decided to go to these borders of the old uh, Islamic state of ISIS and then follow these borders, which went from Lebanon to Syria, to Kurdistan, uh, to Iraq, back
0: to the south of Iraq with uh, Iran, where... Somehow, all the jihad was starting, all these people that were recruiting them. You went to Basra?
1: Yeah, Basra, Basra. Yeah. Because on Basra, you know, I had to create absolutes. Unfortunately, I cannot show you my map, which I always show. When I start talking, I have to show my map. Because from Lampedusa, little I don't know, 5,000 people, I haven't confronted myself with the millions, millions, millions of population, but mm. stratification of culture and the understanding somehow that the border is a certification of memory and every of that place is an example of uh, a cancel identity is an example of devastation physical and psychological that's why in my film there is also a psychiatric hospital and when i started this film i started this film without a camera walking, walking around with my assistant that I had in every single place that I went. I was a one-man crew, but in every place I had an incredible production and incredible people. They were all very young filmmakers, so they wanted to be there and sharing this uh, idea of filming. And my first idea was to have in this film to completely eliminate the idea of border. As I said before, La was a, an invisible limit you know, of the border. And then I say there's a human dimension there on this border. There is a stratification on this border. There is a margin of stories and history on this border. And the border is a place that divides, separates, and somehow unites things. And for me, this was an occasion for encounter. And I just let myself transported from one place to another place where at the end to cancel this division about territory and created like a mental space, you know, a psychogeography. And I just let the film belong to the people I met in these three years of journey there. The film is about encounter. For me, the pain I made uh, in places of war where the ego of war was always present. It's exactly the same pain in Kurdistan, in Dibanti. It's, uh, it's exactly the same pain, and that's what I want the film to be. You know, the, the devastation, the wave that this war created and somehow touched people, miles, miles, miles away from where the war was ha- happening in that moment. And this, for me, was very important. Too. This is the people I want to tell the story about. This is the people that are able to survive in such a struggle. And i choose a story very simple a story but those stories has an incredible belonging to something that is universal you know it's a pain that is universal it's a certification of memory that is archetypical and that's what i want the film to be and with this i close my introduction and i think this film is uh, the only film that is happening between the devastation of ISIS and the devastation of of this pandemic, and the devastation of the political lack of awareness of what's happening in these places, and these people that are living something which is profoundly painful for me, which is the tragedy of the destiny which is a betrayal of history. And that's what I think the film has to capture you know, in a very subtle way, in a way that is more close to, not to a, a, a reportage, but to a, a language of cinema where you have the time and the space to interpret it and to absorb what every single encounter means in a universal way, again in something that is so close to archetypical. And that's, for me, what was important. This is the challenge of this film.
0: It's interesting what you said about Lampedusa. In Lampedusa, it's just one tiny island, and as you say, there are no borders, but there are invisible borders because there are two types of life existing side by side. When you go to these border areas in Iraq, Lebanon, Syria, Kurdistan, in the film for people who are not familiar with the region these borders become invisible and it's really hard to know where you are filming and you provide very little information except a couple of captions in the beginning of the film as how these people got to where they are
1: my film is political in a very broadly way Mm -hmm. very open ways political film. I wanted to have my film be subtraction, subtraction, subtraction of information. And I wanted the film to be carried by the single people I met. There were only eight people I met in these three years. And that's what I think, that the power of the film can have this strength of giving that sense of what was lost and what is our responsibility in the West. Mm-hmm. And my film is the only film that was shot in between... Uh, the ISIS crisis, the ISIS terrific things that happened there, and this this moment of epidemic, because we're going to meet the world that nobody, nobody, nobody talks about. And I'm very glad to be in this uh, talk with you about Middle East, and very few people talk about that. Mm -hmm. The film is about the people that have uh, this universal language. It's about people like Ali, and meeting Ali, you can... you say, why this kid that is only 20 or oh 13 when I met him, he has to do that. Why in this room there are all these Yazidi kids with no parents, with nothing, they left everything, but instead of drawing flowers or soccer playing or things, they're drawing in this therapy, they're drawing a head chopped off, you know, by ISIS. Why there is a guy that is lost completely in this life. Why there is a psychiatric hospital where they try to to reveal the history of Middle East in this uh, little stage inside a psychiatric hospital because they want the truth. And that's where I find the truth in this film. This psychiatric hospital, this fantastic doctor that I met, that he was trying to say, okay, this is what happened from
0: 1916 to yesterday, to ISIS coming here and will be betrayed and this is the sense that I have considered being betrayed and being abandoned and this is the betrayal of history what Pasolini used to say the betrayal of history. Hmm. I wanted to ask you about how you picked the characters in the beginning you spent six months in those regions without a camera what was your cinematic journey like? Because you don't speak the language and I assume you're not very familiar with the culture. No, and, yes, uh,
1: and they want to get any information, they want to hmm, study
0: Exactly.
1: Content. Because I wanted my film to be part of the Encounter. Hmm. Like I always did from both my videos, it all about Encounter, a film. And I have to give them a, I don't want to call it vision, but interaction with the people I meet. I want to give them the world. And I want to be always very aware that making cinema is about missing things. Making cinema is uh, what is left out. How do you feel silence? How do you feel uh, the mood, something? And how cinema can become a metaphor which includes what is left out. For me, this has always been a, a big challenge. But yet, using the language of cinema with awareness, what I have in front of me is totally real. It's something that's happening in front of my camera and this is real. That nobody can write or can interpret it as an actor what i'm filming in that moment and this is the beauty of documentary for me and this is why i keep doing documentary documentary because you know people say ah why don't you write a film because the moment i write something i would be extremely bored to put it in place you know, i have to make a cast i have to I have a, a producer a theater. i have a fantastic producer many producers but i don't like the idea of recreating something uh, i love the idea that when you put the camera there's something so strong and so powerful that becomes uh, something that you never expected and there is in front of your camera and at that point you have to know that you shot 90 hours and your film will be only two hours yeah. So your film is about taking out, taking out, subtraction, subtraction, like information. I cannot give all this information. About eyes, I have three shots. About the pain of the mother I have one shot. About so for me making film is about taking off, taking off, taking off and taking out. And somehow by taking out is a fight, it's a challenge between how the audience they're gonna watch this movie, and I don't give them any reference at any level. They can accept that, and this is my fight constantly. And uh, I believe the, through the language of cinema, we can arrive
2: to do that. You know, when you have one frame from the beginning of the film, and that frame becomes a point of view, and you're thinking there's many, many people watching this film, and that point
1: of view has to be the point of view. Of the audience, and if the audience has the patient throughout this first station, they don't know anything. There's no information. There's no voiceover. You don't know where you are. But if you're able to embrace the people I met in these three years, at the end of this journey, you're gonna have many, many answers that I believe no essay or no journalistic think can bring it to you. And maybe just give you a thought about. Uh, I thought that somehow I can break the stereotypes of the world that has been so much misleading in you know, all this year. And I would like just to embrace the people that are part of this film. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm sure at the end of the film, you have the energy to go to these two hours. You have an answer there. You have an answer when you look at Ali's face. Ali is uh, one of the protagonists of the yes. doesn't say a single word, it doesn't say anything. It's the first time I feel with a close-up lens, you know, with an eighty-five millimeter lens, because in his not talking, he says so much with his body language, with his uh, effort that every day he's forced to go through life. And there, I think uh, you get all the answer you want if you're not judging, if you let yourself go without judgment.
0: Let's start talking about some of the characters. Your film is. Stunning visually, the landscape, the close-ups—you really capture the essence of the landscape and people who are traumatized by decades of war, conquest, invasion.
1: I love, I love in the field with the, the people at the hospital. They say, "Is this an invasion or is is a liberation?" <laughs> it's like. The big dilemma.
0: Yeah, but at the end, they, they do curse America for invading the country, and uh, one of the on men. On, the
1: script, on, yes. their own, uh, on their own performance, they say, no America, no Iran.
0: no Iran. Exactly. But, so, let's talk but, about Ali, one of the main protagonists of your film. In an interview, you said, you followed Ali for four days, and then there is a moment that's right. You never know when that moment is going to come, but you know that you have to follow constantly. You say, for me, it's important to capture the reality, but also to transform it. Otherwise, it becomes just observational. Tell us about... Did I say please? Yes, you did. <laughs> okay, Which is saying. very profound, by the way. Hello? Can you give us the backstory of Ali? How did you find him?
1: Well, Ali on my first first journey i was trying to create some absolutes of places i shot ali in arida arida is the poorest village in middle east and this place is exactly the border with syria and this place during the isis conflict was there, you know, ISIS was trying to arrive there. Syria was coming because Lebanon is ours, not Lebanon is Syria. Blah, blah, blah. So, this conflict. So, when I did my journey, I created some absolute. Okay, this is a place where I have to be. Tripoli is a place I have to be. Baghdad is a place I have to be. And Rojava is a place I have to be. In Sinjar is a place I have to be. In Kojo, there have been like 3,000 women taken out. So, I created this absolute in this map. And then when I went to the Arida, this poor, 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 village of fishermen, I encountered this family, and this family, you know, they invited us to eat there, to have fish, to stay in their home, and we were extremely curious, and this is very important for me to be there without a camera, without filming, just like looking around, looking around, looking around, and then in that moment, I met a kid. When I was there, he came to me, and he was doing the morning prayer. He was a 15, 16 sixteen-year-old kid, and I completely fell in love with him. It was fantastic, and I thought he was going to be my protagonist there, this kid. When I went back after a year to film with the camera, I was looking for him, and he changed completely, this kid. He you know, became something else, so I said, like, this is not anymore the kid I met two years ago, because you know, I had like three years ago in all these places, so some time past one year, two years, when I went back to the places, I said, okay, where I want to be. And then I was there with my producer, with uh, my Lebanese producer, and there is, you know, here, there's a hunting season right now here, and you have to watch this, because kids, they take out uh, time from the school, because their hunter coming for two, three months here, and they're hunting. And the kids, they just go there and pick up the birds. And they're like dogs, basically. Yeah. Retrieve dogs, you know? I said, I don't believe that, I don't believe that. And then I went there during the season of the hunting. And uh, in the morning, I, was, uh, I rented this uh, place there where we sleep for months. <laughs> basically, we're in this like house in the middle of like hunter,
2: another war. And then I meet again, this family, there were like eight kids there and they're all doing this. And I was not able to
1: say, I don't believe they're doing this, I don't believe they're doing this. and then after following this every one day, two days, three days, four days, I start watching the face of these kids. And suddenly I met Ali when he was waiting there for the car to pick him up for three dollars. Okay. And I really he never talked to me, these kids. You know, sometimes I was filming him, and I didn't know that was him. I thought it was like one of the brothers. And then slowly, 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 I started being... Because he never talked to me. He was so shy. And then slowly, I said, no, but this is incredible. These kids is like, he has such an incredible... And then I said, what do you do after that? I go to the boat and do fishing. And then I do this, and then I do that. And I go hunting on my own to bring the and that's of following his life and uh, by following his life uh, i first had to look what he does every day every day every day and then somehow i was able to anticipate or just
2: work with him in the moment he said which one is your tree where you say i have to look for a tree always and this is my favorite tree where i go hunting and then this tree became like my journey every day with him till one day under this tree there's a huge
1: storm huge you remember this, this
0: yes scene? and it's he the sits movie. there patiently yes and i was there filming and i was there with him and that became like some a narrative for me you know i said look at these kids it's here but of course the camera changes things but mm-hmm. then the camera made also miracles of narration people ask me how oh, this is all scripted it's all scripted isn't that <laughs> But be able to
1: spend days, 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 there and following a daily life for someone. And then that moment becomes so incredible that no, again, filmmaking and no writing can do. And for me, the beginning of working with him was this tempest that came when he was hunting. The sky go crazy, right? And this way my camera fly away. I was able to film that moment he's under the tree and I was able to move the camera. He's really there under the tree. I start filming him and thus he became a protagonist. I said, this is incredible.
2: The nature, the things, the... I start following his life every day, waking up in the morning. The mother... He opened us. Uh, the room and so said, what time he, he wakes up? So when the hunter
1: comes, uh, what time the hunter comes? Uh, 3 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning, and I wake him up. So I spent the whole night there waking, the mother waking him up and filming that moment when he's like going outside, and this is the end of the film. And then being there, I don't want to use this world, but, you know, in Pasolini film, there is this uh, element of... Uh, of prostitution, of kids are there. And that's what I felt that he was doing there, you know, like being himself on this road, waiting for the hunter to come and pick him up to get three euro, four euro for the whole day. And uh, I tried to talk to him, he never talks, he's extremely shy. And then he became this uh, silent character in the film, you know, this voice of silence, which for me is part of the movie, is the silence in between notes, you know? Because to film silence is the most difficult thing. to film silence with no words, when people don't talk, is the most challenging thing for a filmmaker, to film the silence in between notes, to find the space of silence, you know? And, and this is
2: what this, this film is about, the silence, the wait, the suspension, the future that doesn't come, the future that
1: is so uncertain.
0: Ali, in many ways, represents tens of millions of children in the world, uh, especially those down. in the war zone who have been forgotten and marginalized. and Yeah, but also like the mother,
1: they represent
0: millions, millions, millions exactly. of mothers. Exactly. Know, it's at the beginning of the film. That's why that scene is at the huh. beginning of the film, because for me it's so important to see that uh,
1: this is a universal pain, and this was the scene where I wanted to break the whole border. Invisible limit that was imposed. I wanted to break it up completely in this
0: movie. And this uh, was my yeah. idea of breaking
1: that, which I risk a lot, you know, because people are fighting for borders, there.
0: <laughs> and the question becomes: What is the future holds for someone like Ali, because he was the sole breadwinner of this household, and the father was nowhere to be found. But... The
1: father is a fisherman. He went on a journey. I see. The father, he came and started working with him, he came back, but then, you know, I decided for me the protagonist was him alone, and
2: most of the footage that I shot when he was alone there. And the father, he was arrested in Syria because he was a fisherman, and he went out of the border of the sea and he was arrested and spent
1: uh, time in Greece. So the whole family was on him, basically. And that's what I wanted, but that's what he does you know, now. You brought up C We had a foundation. That incredible, generous people gave a lot of money to this foundation. We were able to do a lot with the foundation of C Now we don't have any money anymore. But with the last money we had, we were able to buy a boat to Ali. Huh. And now he has his own boat, and the boat is called Captain Ali. <laughs> and he's able to go fish, and, uh, and he doesn't have to work for hunters or for things anymore. And he has his own boat, and he is able to bring home food hmm. every day.
0: Is he going to school?
1: No, he was very bright. I spoke to the teacher. Uh, there is a sister there that she's fantastic. She's the best in the school there. But they have the time. Every episode, I think, could be like. a three hour, four hour movies, and I had to create always a synthesis of subtraction in every story. And to be able to find just one
2: little, little story that was able to go somewhere else, somewhere else, somewhere else. And Ali was the one that I wanted to to tell the story about the story of silence the story of uh, you don't have to talk about things. Uh, Sometimes you just have to give a sense of silence, which is the important space
1: between notes again, as I said to you
0: before. And the close-up shots of Ali also tells a different story about him. The
1: only time in my life as a filmmaker, I used an 85 lens.
0: I realized I that.
3: Because used you use
1: do a lens. I used a two lens. I used an 18 and a 25. And for the first time in this film, I shot a uh,
2: close-up of Ali because this, uh, this close-up, they were like
1: interviews for me. Mm-hmm. And every time he was at home alone, I was there with my camera. He didn't care anymore. I was there in this room. And I, I had to be close to him. I had to put this lens, which is a far lens, you know, it's an 85. And because I knew that his face was telling more than any conversation, than any any answer, any question I could ask him. And that's why I decided to film, to close the film with this um, close-up, you know, and this game close-up. And that's why the name of the the title of the film is not Tour now because I mean, this night has to end, you know, <laughs> so later, this darkness, yeah. there is, after night,
2: after nightmare, there has to be some shine, some sun that is coming out. Which
0: is also the title of your film, Nutorno.
1: Yeah, that's what I mean, like, yeah. that's why I have to give this title to the film Nettorno, because after this night, I hope that it's like a sunset, a sunrise, Uh, And then, yes, there is a sunset. How long is this sunset uh, until the sunrise comes?
0: That takes me to other characters in the film talking about close up and how these faces tell their own stories. We watch a rehearsal of a play about the history of the whole Middle East at a Baghdad psychiatric hospital. You devote multiple lengthy scenes to the play. The Baghdad psychiatric hospital
1: it's a place that since Saddam Hussein was a refuge for people there, people that they lost everything in that time and everything, sometimes people they just prefer to live in that place and be outside when they lost everything uh, sometimes people really were extremely damaged psychologically and arrived in this place, so this place for me, the Baghdad uh, Socratic Hospital was uh, an absolute another absolute to be filled and I spent three years to feel that. Again, this thing cannot be done with the people I have, You know, like local producer and local assistant uh, protecting me and trusting me. And they say, yes, we can do that. We can do that. We cannot do that. We guess you can do that. John Franco, but you know, this, this is very dangerous. And this place, uh, was so hard to get a permit to film. But from the beginning of my journey, that was one of my plays. I wanted to film, I wanted to film there. And I went one, two, three, four, five, six ten times there. Oh. And without having permit to film. But still, I said, this narration has to be part of the film, because this is like a, a metaphor what's going on there. And I never knew how to film that. And I never had a permit to do that. And the last journey I did, after all, the film was half edited the first edit was there, and everybody said, okay, this is perfect, the thing is perfect, you don't have to go back, and then I went back again there for five months, because I knew there were so many missing things, like the telephone call is another missing part, you know, which started at the beginning, and only after three years I was able to find that, we can talk about that, but then back that psychiatric hospital was something I really wanted to have in my field. And I couldn't, I couldn't I go back, I go back, I go back, I go back. No permit, no permit, no permit, no permit. Finally, they gave me a permit to shoot. I go there, and, and then they say, okay, but the conditions that like you cannot shoot here, the faces of the people, you cannot shoot the patient. And I said, well, <laughs> what are they going to shoot? Well, yes, the BBC was here, and they were very, very happy to have this permit. So after so many years, we decided to give you this permit. So, yeah, but with this permit, I cannot do anything in the meantime I I created a very strong interaction with the head of the hospital and with this doctor that is doing so many things there and that day asked my sister please let's go back there I have to find a way to film this and was already January February I finished the filming end of February and I was in the hospital entered this room and I see the patient Sitting there in this room, watching a video, and they were laughing, and this video had archival footage. And I said, "This is an incredible world. What's going on here?" And I went out, I spoke to the daughter. so said, oh, "This is something we do with, uh, every few months with patients. It's a it's theater therapy. Yes. We do therapy for that.
0: That's so so part so of their rehab." Is, yeah,
1: and the play is about the Middle East, and then with my sister, I went through this huge like was 50 pages play and i was so fascinated I said this is a history of middle East." and i said are you starting your group yes next week and then i asked a new permit they gave me the permit to film only the people doing the play and i said but you know i have to shoot them when they do the memorization when they're in the room and then they allowed me to do it i said but unless you don't show their faces and then I spent there another month filming this rehearsal and discovering that this rehearsal was really the history of Middle East. So this is, was another incredible encounter that I had. But still every encounter is a matter of say, I want to go there, I want to go in this story, I want to go in this story and get to the essence of the truth of what this story is telling us. This was very important for me. Every single story, and there are only eight stories in this film. In order to complete this eight story, it took me three years. And in order to put this in the screen, I had to take off all the boulders, because this was the only way to create this universal story about a place that's being destructed and somehow victimized
0: by the West. I should also add that you don't interview anyone. Much of the film is silent. But what I appreciated was the fact that you allowed these people who have been traumatized physically and emotionally to be able to tell their own story. I'm speaking with award-winning documentary filmmaker, Giofranco Rossi, about his latest documentary film, *Noterno*, which captures life in the war-scarred border areas of Iraq, Kurdistan, Syria, and Lebanon. We'll talk more after a break. From Pacifica Radio, this is Voices of the Middle East and North Africa. I am Malihe Razazan. For those of you joining us now, I am Malihae Razuzan and you are listening to Voices of the Middle East and North Africa on Pacifica Radio. I'm speaking with award-winning documentary filmmaker, Giofranco Rossi, about his new film, Notorno, shot over a three-year period along the borders between Syria, Iraq, Kurdistan and Lebanon. Notorno has been selected as Italy's entry this year's Oscars in the Best International Feature category. One of the long scenes in the film is about kids, Yazidi kids, telling a psychologist about the horrors of being captives of ISIS, witnessing torture and murders of prisoners. And the trauma these children carry was so vivid also in the drawing that they posted on the wall. I want to spend some time with you on these kids. How did you find them? And I read somewhere that when you were filming the classroom scene, you did not want any of the conversation to be translated. You just sat down and watched and
1: filmed. That was always the case on any, any scene. Mm. The mother with every moment, I didn't step anything. But I knew that moment was so precious so fundamental
0: to be found. You're talking the mother who went to to a cell in the the abandoned prison. prison. Tell me about how you found these kids and um, tell us about their stories. How did they end up in this orphanage?
1: Well, this is a very painful moment for me. As a human being, as a father, I have a daughter and This was an absolute, I went uh, in Sinjar, in Kojo.
0: Kojo is a place that has been destroyed by ISIS, completely destroyed by ISIS. That's where also the phone call is there. And that's another incredible story. Yes. The phone call with
2: the mother, the daughter.
0: Who was captured and imprisoned by ISIS.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then I filmed her in Germany. And this orphanage, these kids,
0: completely
1: dismissed from their life completely erupted from their life completely destroyed from their life and I spent again
2: days, weeks, months there to say how I'm gonna tell this story one day I was there and I met this woman this incredible teacher she said I'm a teacher
1: from this NGO from Germany and I tried to Give a break to these kids. To put <laughs> these kids in the order that are still living, although they went through the worst things. And I said, How do you do that? I do this therapy. And again, this is like the therapy in Baghdad of theater. I do this therapy with drawing, drawing therapy. And then I start filming these kids. Every day, every day, every day, drawing, 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 drawing. And I was there filming them and trying to understand the pain of these kids. I have another 3 hours documentary. I took be there. And then in this room, I realized that this room became like Nuremberg. And this is the only moment of truth. When kids, this part of history was never filmed, photographed, analyzed, by nobody and these kids drawing something that at 13 9 12 you shouldn't do that and for me to be there and witnessing every drawing everything to be able to cut this down in the moment in the field that comes only this room i have to think that this is, this is a room where time and history encounter
0: and where there's some witness there's a judge and this is the only moment of truth I can give in the film but then this scene was like completely cacophony with all my rest of the film because my film was somehow going in a very lyrical way and this lyric lyricism I couldn't capture in that moment, in that room and then I forced myself to say okay, no, I have to be here I have to be here and feel this moment of truth and after spending months there, and be able to go in this room and filming this witness that these kids are again, this is history, and this is a passage that is so painful in history, and this is the only witness through the eyes of kids of what they went through. Those drawings are are horrific. Drawings they become again.
1: It's like. Because they're filming and say, no, oh,
0: these kids should draw balloons, should draw yeah. happy things. And these kids they were drawing chopping heads. They were drawing chopping heads.
2: They were drawing burning houses. And they were drawing something that I think humanity
1: didn't face in the Western world. We were not able to understand that. And this is a very, very small part of the film. And it's again part of. Uh, taking off information but I hope that in that room where we arrived at there there's an incredible division between true and false and what is there is extremely truthful and extremely alive in the confession that these kids give of their pain and mortal, this little young boy was 13 stutter. There. he cannot say the word because the pain that he is there, losing his mother, his father, everybody, and say, this is al-Baghdadi. This is the the guy that was teaching how to kill Yazidi. I hope that in the room there's a, an incredible synthesis of uh, history, and that's why the next shot is the shot of the prisoner of uh, ISIS. And yet there, in my field, there is a... Uh, political statement, because um, no matter what, I think no human beings can be treated like that. And this is, again, a demonstration that uh, in Kurdistan
2: we abandoned. You know, most of those people, they were foreign fighters. I met German, French, English, Italian, Polish, uh,
1: Russian, Chinese, that were there in that room. And no country is taking responsibility for that. But the only way to shoot
3: that was, like, again, three shots, very, very brief, and very strong. What
0: happened to the parents of those kids? Because over 6,000 Yazidis, mostly women and children, were enslaved and transported to ISIS prisons, military training camps, and homes of, of the so-called fighters across eastern Syria and western Iraq. What's the backstory, for example, I was able to to, to shoot this extreme synthesis because I knew every backstory is such an incredible, horrible story. Horrible, horrible. And I think the synthesis of this horrible story comes with the phone call of the mother and the daughter,
1: again, Yazidi. And um, that was my first encounter with this telephone, this voice of desperation there, and not be able to feel the husband that gave me this uh, phone all the conversation and again that was a story years years before i was able to say how i'm gonna tell this story how i'm gonna tell this crazy story that's happening there and the first time i met him i asked can i fill this phone yes and there's a hand going through this message i fit two hours of this message i don't understand any single word that i you know that was like something extremely dramatic, extremely painful, extremely unjust. And after three years, back and forth, back and forth, I went to Sinjar, to Kojo, to this place, asking this uh, young boy, he was 24, 23, that got married to this woman. The last time I went there, he told me, Gianfranco, I cannot be part of this film. You came here so many times. I have a new family, I have a daughter now, she's just three months old and i can't help you anymore but i know that the mother of my ex-wife she's now in germany so i get this number of the wife and through the head of the committee i see that I was able to contact her she invited me there i go there last year exactly one year ago on the 20th in the morning till in uh, Stuttgart, in Germany, as I cannot film anything here, how can I film here, you see, and then suddenly, after she told me this horrible story about all these daughters being raped in front of her, being like, completely reduced to a human element of life that you cannot accept. She was crying, she was crying, she was crying. I said, listen, I have to go. I cannot do this anymore. I cannot film. I cannot. She said, no, you have to film. I know you have my phone. You have numbers. You have a conversation with my daughter there. And I want this. And you have to film this. This is witnessing was happening to us. And then I didn't know where to film and Then suddenly I look. I open the room. This is dark room with blanket there. And those blankets, I recognized those blankets out of uh, where I was, you know, with the keys, with the thing, there was this colorful blanket, and this room was just this blanket, dark, dark, dark. And I gave her the phone, and I put the camera there. And after three years, the voice of the mother and the mother listening to this voice, the encounter, and that's it. You know, there are like three shots in the film. And this is again, go back to synthesis, to take it out. And hopefully, if this moment are more than any documentary, any question, anything she could say, there's one tear coming down, and there's a voice of desperation of the daughter, which we think she converted to... from Yazidi to... or she was forced to convert, because point she, she said, "Your God, if you only had respect of her, yeah. She would, he would not do that what he's doing to us yeah. for me that was everything uh, and again I had to wait three years to shoot that scene
0: what can you tell us about some of the logistical challenges of shooting a film at multiple geographical locations engulfed in a war that involved more than two parties I suppose that Maybe one of the reasons that it took you two years to finish this film was also the logistical issues. And I understand that you came very close to being kidnapped.
1: That happened in Basra. In that area is an area of extreme social pain where people do not even able to drink water. Salt water is everywhere. This is the area where there's the biggest source of money in Iraq and yet the biggest poverty in Iraq.
2: I met there uh, my hunter, this guy. He used to be a fighter against ISIS and support his family. He has to go hunting birds and selling the birds in the market and waiting for the birds. And I met him very randomly. One day I was in this car
1: coming from Baghdad to Basra after hours, hours of checkpoint, 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 checkpoint. checkpoint. We arrived there. And I see this guy in this motorbike, which is a poster of the film. It's exactly that moment. And as I said, "Who is he? I want to go back He's a hunter. Uh, my sister told I me mean, he's a hunter. And I, say, I want to meet him. And I stop him, and we start talking, and say I'm a hunter, and I hunt uh, in this uh, marshland.
0: Documentary once it was finished
1: All my producer did and, and unfortunately I was never able To, to screen the film The want to fight against all this. So all my producers are, you know, at first, uh, the, the ones that I believe in this film so much. And for me, they are the voice of this film. Because without them, I would never be able to do this. My local
0: producer. The stories that you tell are the stories of people that are surviving in the midst of tragedy. What gives
1: you hope? I was hoping to break up the stereotype about that world because i've been seeing film about world in syria and all these films i saw in the last years for me are completely misleading
2: and unfortunately many times about people from middle east uh, they shot this film winning academy award and things and with this film i wanted to break the stereotype of uh, of what war is because war is not about uh, Place where there is a bomb, and there's a hospital with kids being I mean, completely war is something that's affecting in a
1: h- huge way people that are so far away from, from the place where that bomb exploded. Yeah. And you know, we've been immersed in stereotype you know, that war for years, 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 yeah. years.
0: When I spoke with you the last time about the fire at sea, I remember you told me that that specific documentary <laughs> was also a call to action, and for that reason. The film was screened at the United Nations. What about this one? Is this also a call to action for you, this documentary? Uh, This film had the same impact on action like my other film because in that moment, uh, there was an awareness politically. There was an awareness about the tragedy,
1: what was happening there, and then suddenly everything stopped. When I started this film, I thought there was a transformation there, and then again, the pandemic happened and, and everything stopped. You know, nobody knows anymore what's happening in Syria, in Rojava, what's happening in Baghdad, what's happening. Nobody knows, nobody, nobody, nobody. So this film didn't have the same impact. But I think that this film is in the the scene of the long scene, which is the red threat of my film. In the psychiatric hospital, I think this film can open up a question and say, "Okay, what is uh, homeland there? What would we do? What would... I'm sure that this film is opening up a question, and if people watching this film can have uh, this profound immersion towards history and towards our own uh, responsibility you know, of the West. To be there and relating to these few people that i showed the field and somehow relating to the world uh, this is a betrayal of history and this is the tragedy of destiny and if few people watching this movie can think about that then i think it was worth it to spend three years there and making this film
0: Franco Rossi is an award-winning filmmaker. His latest documentary, Notorno, shot over a three-year period along the borders between Syria, Iraq, Kurdistan, and Lebanon. Notorno has been selected as Italy's entry to this year's Oscars in the Best International Feature category, and it opens on January 29th on Demand and Hulu. Thank you. Produced at KPFA Studios in Berkeley. Our media partner is a Status Hour podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Vomina underscore radio or listen to our past shows on iTunes or SoundCloud at Voices of the Middle East and North Africa. You can also reach us by email at VominaRadio at gmail.com.